0: Have you ever felt awful and dejected after playing the player known as a pusher, aka the most exhausting player? Well, on this episode of the Tennis Falls podcast, Coach Peter Freeman from Crunch Time Coaching is going to reveal exactly how you can defeat this very difficult type of
1: opponent Welcome to the Tennis Files Podcast,
2: bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mirban Iranshad. Hey
0: everybody, welcome to another episode of the podcast. My name is Mirban Iranshad, and as you might be able to tell, I'm using a different microphone today. I'm actually on the road. So um, this one may sound a little different. I actually brought my... Microphone that I normally use with me, but the cable did not work today. So we'll have to figure out a solution, or you can just bear with me with this microphone. I hope it sounds okay. Um, Sounded decent to me. But on this episode of the podcast, uh, I'm going to have Coach Peter Freeman guide you through eight ways, eight strategic and mental principles that are going to help you really figure out how to defeat the pusher. A very different, uh, difficult type of player. That I've encountered a lot um in the junior days, I was so sometimes considered that type of player in contrast to the opponents who I was playing, but um yeah, they're just really tough, and it's you know it's mentally exhausting to play this type of player, and uh you know a lot of times when you see them, you size them up, you say, "Oh wow, this person is a joke like their their strokes are so ugly, um they can barely get the ball." pass the service line and there's no way I'm going to lose. And then you get into the match and, you know, they force you to make this one extra ball and, uh, and there you go. And soon enough, you're finding yourself making mistakes after mistake and then you lose. And that's obviously not a very good feeling. So that's why we've got coach Peter Freeman on the podcast, uh, with me, Uh, commenting and and, uh, introducing some viewer questions on this episode. So I really hope that you enjoy it. And without further ado, uh, here is the guide to defeat pushers with Coach Peter Freeman.
2: So the first thing is, is right after the match and maybe we'll, maybe we'll, we'll get really courageous and even show the, the, if it goes well, we might show a little bit of the post-match interview, which is kind of cool, but we're going to, we'll do that at the end. But one thing that he said is I knew I was in for a battle and I knew that I had to work the point that I just couldn't, you know, go for winners. And so when you're going to play somebody, You know, they don't have any strokes and and then you start and then then you're like three games in and it's close. You're like, I should be killing this player, right? This guy knew that he's got to work. He's like, if I don't work, I'm not going to win, you know, so, so stay positive and play with respect, not hate. Okay. Some people actually start to hate the experience. They hate themselves. They hate their opponent. They, they, they hate the conditions. They start to hate, hate, hate play with respect, not hate. Be ready and accept longer points and look at the longer points, not as a dreaded nightmare. And this is what this guy did so well. In fact, we'll just start playing some points here. As I talk, look for, these longer points as multiple, and this is what people don't do. They feel like if I'm going to play somebody like this, I can't get in the long rallies. I've got to end the point short. Let, let me know if that's the way you think that you need to play and beat a pusher is sync Like I've got to end the point quick. No look at these long points and go. Well, this guy's not going to be hitting a ton of winners against me. MEP actually starts off. It's kind of interesting. This match starts the opposite. MEP starts off kind of even then it slowly Uh, slips away from him. So as you guys keep watching, just keep listening, try and watch and listen. But uh, look at these points as multiple opportunities to set up offense. And if it doesn't give you the look that you want, don't be afraid to reset the offense. A lot of people like this right here, he's he's that was a terrible decision, right? So in the beginning, he's making bad decisions. Like he didn't need to hit. Why would he go to hit that, that shot? He hit that shot for no reason. As you see him start to play these points, you're gonna see him start to set points and reset points and reset offense and uh, and start to slowly but surely uh, uh, take over points from the map and, and fin- he finishes a lot of points at the net. I'll just tell you that right now. He finishes a lot of points at the net and he just really takes his time waiting for his ball. Here's one thing he does too. Uh, no, I won't say that yet. I was about to say something, but I'm not gonna say it. Okay. That'll be a later point. Any questions as we're watching this? Have any comments come through, Maribon? That's point number one. Let's see here.
3: Um uh da, 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 da. I think we're good. Yeah, I think we're okay. okay. Just chat. Let me know if you in case we missed anything, but I think we're good. Oh, actually, actually, did we, did we get to this one, Pete? So Samantha had asked before, how do you get them to stop making you run side to side and be the one in control?
2: Okay. If if you are, if you are playing, uh, if you're playing someone stronger than you or if you are playing a pusher, I think if you're,
3: uh, I think if you're playing someone stronger than you. So the first half of our, of the presentation.
2: Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a lot of, uh, believe it or not, if you, one thing that's interesting, if you hit a lot through the middle, you'll probably run less than if you hit a little side to side because you're opening up angles. So Mep hits a lot, a lot through the, through the middle when he's playing well and deep through the middle. Okay. So if you hit deep through the middle, a lot of times you'll be in good shape. Like, look at that deep through the middle to the backhand, he's right in the point. Um, you know, so the more you kind of give your opponents angles to work with, you can kind of get yourself in trouble. Like this is a nice patient point from, from both players we are watching here. Uh, and the other thing is when you do get run rather than hit the ball fast on the run, hit the ball high. Let's see, say this is a shorter ball. This guy can so look how patient this guy is. And that's going to lead me to my next point. This look at that. He's really breaking this point down. He he did a great job of this. Look at that. He went offense, tried to set, but look how he was ready to get in reset mode, but Met missed that. Did you guys, that's a perfect example. He had offense, but he didn't quite put that ball away. You didn't see him panic though. You could see he was getting ready to reset the point. Uh, so just keep watching as we're talking, because this guy does a great job. And here's my next point. And this guy probably has done this better than anybody when people lose to counter punchers, when people lose to counter punchers, they do one of two things. They start to over hit and play above their ability and they start to go for too much or they do the opposite. They hit at the same exact pace as the counter puncher. What this guy did so well is he always stayed a gear to two gears as far as pace out, out in front of MEP. He always hit just slightly harder than MEP to stay in control of points. And another thing that we just saw, so another point I want to make, is that one thing that this guy did that Subash didn't do, why the meat fell off the bone easier for this guy Cause Subash has way better strokes than this dude. Okay. But you can see right here, here's a good example of staying a gear to a head and he comes to the net. But another thing that this guy did so well was he also, sometimes when he got a short ball, he'd hit and come on in. Other times when he got a short ball, he would intentionally bring the map in and you notice, look at that. Oh, he missed that. You notice that Subash never really got a short ball in the midcourt and intentionally brought Mep in. But what I think made Mepp uneasy is that look at this, this is exactly what we're talking about. Is when this guy got a short ball, he didn't know if if this look at this, and then he goes and hits another little short ball back. See, he was very good at the cat and mouse. He didn't know when, when this guy got a short ball, he's always expecting people to get short balls. Mep knows when he plays people, he's going to give up playing short balls, but he's always expecting them to attack and get in, into defensive mode and get ready for a pass or a lob. This guy would sometimes come in on him, And sometimes he'd bring Mep in intentionally. And notice how they're both hitting through the middle a lot. They're both playing in kind of Mep style. But this guy's just kind of out mapping the map. Why? While also staying more offensive than him. Maribon, thoughts on what we're saying so
0: far.
3: No, I love it. Uh, a lot of great stuff here is actually creating a uh, a list that we can share because we got a lot of questions about um, the recapping the, li- the list. Um, but I'm trying to see which one. I, I mean I, you know what I, you know the very first one you talked about stay positive and play with respect not hate I think that's really important just to have that mindset uh, when you're playing um, the map you know because I, I think a lot of people just have a lot of negative thoughts uh, flood into their head and you have to really make sure that you have the right even keel mindset and you know respect the player for what they are and you know if you you know underestimate them then you're in for a, a rough day most of the time So a lot of a lot of great stuff here. I'm just checking if there's any uh, questions to look at, but uh, I think we're good
2: for now. But I'm telling you what we've said today, I think deserves two or three listens and you're going to find yourself in this situation in these types of matches way more than you are going, Oh, I wish I could hit the ball like Rafael Nadal uh, sliding buggy whip forehand. Then I'd be so much better. No, it's like, if you learn how to play like these two players, um, it's the lessons of what they're doing well, and when you can see their mistakes when it's not going well, um, and really study this, I guarantee you, you will come up with way more W's than trying to get Federer's forehand down step by step by step. Uh, Not to say that it's not, I'm also a big believer in technique, because at some point, Mm -hmm. just in your face technique, like when MEP, there's some players that MEP would play on the tennis troll that their technique is so overwhelming. There's some 50 plus players that, you know, MEP wouldn't be able to, to go with them toe to toe because their technique is so much better. So I'm not saying not to focus on technique. It's not super important, but this is just huge stuff here. Okay. This is a, this is a big one. And this guy did this extremely well. I want you guys to start to work on developing a confidence meter when you play. And I want you to be brutally honest where your confidence meter is. And what does that mean? A confidence meter is like, you know that there are certain shots that you're playing a, cou- a counter punch or a, a pusher. You know, there's certain shots where you get a great look to where you're telling yourself I should be crushing this forehand and putting it away. But you might feel such anxiety that as you're hitting it and going for it, this is where people really start to lose matches. As you're hitting it and going for it, like look how beautifully this guy's saying at this point. See, he had a good confidence meter on that. He played within himself and hit a good shot. As you're hitting it and going for that, you truly don't believe you're going to make it you're just going for the shot because you know it's the right shot in your mind. Like it's a weak ball, I should be crushing this. Where if your confidence meter isn't high, if you're not feeling it, don't force it. And that's what this guy does so well. When this guy sees a short ball and his confidence meter feels good, if he's feeling like in control of the point, he's gonna take and sweep across the ball and hit a nice cross court shot uh, or, or an approach shot down the line but when he's not feeling it lots of times I've seen this match, he'll chip approach shots. That's if he's not feeling it, he'll bring the map in, you know, but if he's feeling it, just like he felt that one pretty good to go for it. He'll, he'll sweep it across cross court. Let's see if he's feeling this. Let's see what he does. See, he wasn't feeling it there. He could have gone for a winner there. He's like, I don't need to, I wasn't feeling the confidence on that. So I'm just going to stay in the point. You know, so pay attention to this guy's confidence meter. What they felt a little confident there. He was thinking maybe I should go in, stayed back. So he really is a, he's good at being in tune with what he feels like when he should be going for the ball and when it's not quite ready to do it. Any questions from anybody?
3: Yeah, actually we do have uh, some questions here. Let's see, let's see. So, well, one comment, going Sabalenka mode is a bad strategy unless you ha- happen to be on that day. I prefer the deep rally ball and attack their short balls. Uh, definitely very solid ch- uh, strategy. Um, Charlotte really likes the respect, not hate uh, quote there. So, nice going, Pete. Uh, he, It's, uh, you know, give him credit. Let's see, Jay Look, how do you improve your anticipation to beat them?
2: how you improve your anticipation is like watch, watch this match. And, and, and kind of like this guy is, you see this, this guy is very good. And, and again, this is why he won so easily without, you can see this guy, we're, we're playing this at 50% pace. So this guy is hitting harder than it appears, but he really doesn't hit the ball that hard. But this guy is so good at knowing when he is hurt met from the moment he's hit his own shot, to then watching, he can tell right away, he hits the ball and then he looks up and he sees how MEP is responding to the ball. And that's when he makes his decision, if he's gonna, you know, lots of times this little drop shot, I know isn't working for him, but that's how he makes his decision when he's gonna go to the net or just stay and set and reset the point. Notice how this guy is one of the best I've seen at resetting points. I mean, I've seen this guy in this video, move forward like there, see how he went in? But then look what he does. I'm not going to force it. Reset. A lot of people would have just been frustrated and forced it. Look, here he comes. Look at this. See, he came from all the way back at the baseline. Uh Missed that though. But he had the look he wanted. He had the look he wanted. And I think he won like 6-1. So this guy is really good to study. Maybe even watch the match at uh, 50% pace because you can really see what's going on. Okay. Here's my last one. And uh, I'm going to – Uh, actually come off the screen here because I want to I want to look at the crowd. We'll watch this one last point. It is fascinating to watch these guys play. I think (laughs) that goes to show what a tennis nerd I am. Huh? I love it. too. It's great. Okay. Here's the last
1: one. This is huge.
2: Go watch his matches. Three, four hundred comments <laughs> for a recreational match, okay? And what I love about they always get interviews, the players. And what I love about uh, is their maturity, and that you know, there's there's players like I say, most people are going to play the map. They have better strokes than him and there's they know that they're going to get hundreds of comments some comments are going to be like go Mep." a lot of other comments are going to be like dude how could you not blow that guy off the court like you suck like those comments are coming guys and when you get into a match and you're playing on your team and you know that and, and trust me this has been in this has been right in my heart and in my gut i have felt this and i'm i i i I mean i'm not even ashamed to admit it it's natural you get out there and you start looking through the fence and you start seeing your buddies start to snicker and smirk or or you start seeing other people come from other courts to watch because like look he's about to he might lose to this pusher you know you start to feel that you start to feel people getting interested in your match because they can see like such a mismatch but they can see you getting frustrated and nervous and the wheels starting to fall off and people start to pay attention. You start to feel that. What you've got to learn how to do is to not worry about the haters and the outsiders. Cause everybody who's snickering and laughing or, you you know, or maybe feeling sorry for you. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, even though they might be through the fence saying, oh my God, look at this. Can you believe this? If I was out there, I'd be kicking their butt. I guarantee you if you said, hey, you wanna take the racket and finish the match? They'd all go, nope. You have fun out there because we've all been out there and we've all felt like we've underperformed in a situation like that. You have got to learn how to block the externals out. Think about what these brave people are doing. They're playing out there in front of nobody and they know that their match is gonna get 20, 30, 40, 100, 200,000 views. They have somehow tapped into something that I must admit they're better at than I am. They're not worried about the hater aid. They're just focused on their craft. And if you can do what they're doing, you will be the most mentally tough player on your league roster I guarantee it
3: love it love it Pete. Uh, that was so beautiful let's see Uh, we have a bunch of questions Pete Um, let's see so how do you did we get through this oh yeah we did get Jay looks question so uh, Jim any tips for high bouncing overheads around the baseline comes up a lot for me against pushers
2: yeah two, and I just made a video on this. So maybe watch my video on YouTube today, how to handle high balls. Number one is have an honest conversation with yourself, Jim. Usually when the moon ball comes and I'm willing to bet 80% if I gave you a private lesson. If I fed you a moon ball, you would probably first watch it, have it come over the net, have it bounce, and then you'd start to move with it what you have to realize is that moon ball is a nightmare on the horizon. You have to realize that as soon as it is struck and you see it go high, that you have a problem on your hands and you can't wait for the problem. You've got to be proactive. So as soon as that ball is hit high and you've determined that you need to move backwards, right? Your first two questions are, should I move back or should I take it on the rise? If you determine that moving back is the right thing to do, you've got to bust your booty to the, to the fence and let the ball hit its peak and come down. If you're hitting a lot of overheads on high balls, you probably haven't moved back fast enough. Ideally, what you want to do is move back, have the ball reach its peak, have it come down and swing up and hit a heavy ball. If the ball is going to bounce right on the baseline, it's definitely not going to be an overhead. That's one that you can either step in and take right out of the air and just block it or as soon as it bounces, trap it, you can trap it with a block or you can try and be a little more advanced and sweep it as soon as it bounces. But those are the ways to handle that.
3: Awesome. Thanks, Pete. we got some more questions. Although I really like this comment from Tom. Uh, if you put uh, the video in today, which I will do because you all want it, then it's less than $2 per video. I bought this thing for $99 because one hour of tennis lessons at a private club is 90 bucks here in West Palm Beach, Florida. Pete, how much did you pay again for a lesson with Rick Macy?
2: <laughs> I took a lesson with Rick Macy. I paid $500 for the hour and got a hotel. So we're looking at that about 8 to $1,000 for that experience. Then I flew out to Jeff Saldenstein, got a plane ticket, took a lesson with Jeff Saldenstein. Then I took a lesson with Dr. Mark Kovacs here in Georgia, paid him $500 for the hour. Then I took a mental train session with Jeff Greenwald and I paid him $500 for the hour. And with all the expenses, travel, everything, I spent $6,000 of my own money before I made a penny.
3: Wow. Pretty, pretty I solid. In myself. Yeah, yeah, and that's what you get to do with the audience access
2: I shot, I shot videos today for three hours. I paid somebody to shoot video. I mean, I believe in investing in myself. If you guys yeah. want to get better, you know, you want to invest in yourself. There's no way you could take all this information that's been given to you and go, "Okay, I got it." Like, there's no way. This just too much good stuff to not review again if you really want to get it.
3: Yeah, definitely investing.
2: I just got to, I just got to say this, and then Maribon, you can take over. Tennis is the mother of all repetition. How, how do you get Sissy Pass said, why, what I am most proud of is my mental consistency realizing he's, he's finally starting to buy into, I've got to do the same things over and over and over again. This is exactly what he said. This is exactly why he's saying he's playing better tennis because it's just doing it over and over and over again. It's hearing the same things over and over and over again. It's watching, seeing the same things over and over and over again. And then it's practicing the same things over and over and over again. And then after that you rinse and repeat it. There's everything here that you need.
3: Yeah. um, For sure. I mean, that's how, how I become successful at things. Same thing with Pete, you know, it's like, you watch something you you do it and then you, a lot of times you have to go back to something over and over again and then repeat it and repeat it and you know that's that's the way to go so again you know great resource for you here with the all-access pass uh we have um some more questions omar i just lost to a pusher worse than the map. uh just hits flat i wish you would have at least hit with slice or chip like the map. I feel horrible. Omar, you know, it's a tough one, but we hope that uh, the information that Pete uh, showed you today uh, will help you. I don't know if you have any other thoughts, Pete.
2: Well, a couple of things. First of all, there's nobody, including me and Mayor. I'm sure I can speak for but There's no one out there who has not lost to a pusher. There's no one out there who has not lost a match where you feel like you've underperformed, that you could have done better. You know, I think the worst feeling, though, is when you lose those players is that they break you down mentally to where you start to check out and that you walk off the court and you feel like, whoa, wait a second. Now that the match is over, I realize that I let up, that I didn't get my best effort from start to finish, that I just kind of got over it, that I didn't problem solve, that I let the match race away. That's why these tips we're giving you tonight are so valuable. That's why you should go over and over them. That's why you should go over these tips over and over again because you're gonna lose to a pusher again, Omar, Omar. it's gonna happen. But what I want is the next time is that you don't feel horrible. I want you to go, you know what? I used every single thing and I fought and the match lasted a long time. And I went to plan A, B, and C and I chose the right shot at the right time. That's why you're probably most upset is that the match probably raced away from you and there was nothing you could do about it because whether you realize you were checking out or not, and whether you don't realize you didn't give your best effort, you probably feel horrible because you, there's something inside you that knows that you didn't get your best effort.
3: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Got to give it to y'all every time. I uh, think of Rafa for inspiration. Uh, let's see. Susanna, is he varying the speed and pace?
2: Yes. If you watch that match where, where uh, I think they call him the boss of Atlanta, if you watch it in regular pay, speed, you realize he is varying the speed and the pace. They both do that very well. But the other guy does have more gears than the map. So he used slightly more gears and he chipped and he hit topspin and he ripped occasionally. Sometimes he'd throw in an ace, he'd come to the net. So yeah, the the thing that makes that that counterpunchers love is when you're one dimensional, like you're just trying to chop down the tree for two hours against them. They love that. They're like, there's no way you're beating me. I'm used to your pace. You can't hit through me and you think you're a macho man or a macho Lee, but you can't hit through me. You've got to do more than this to beat me pushers are more sophisticated than you give them credit for. And that's what the boss of Atlanta realized. He didn't just beat him one way. He beat him like three, four or five ways. That's why he dismantled him. Cause he just didn't go with, I should just hit through this guy. He, he doesn't hit a hard ball. You go back watch that match again. He beat him three, four five ways. That's, that's why the match was so easy for him to win. Where Subash, who did pretty good, was mostly trying to beat him one way, hit big, heavy, topspin, get a short ball, finish the point. That was Subash's one strategy. That's the knock on him. Maribon asked, you know, is he doing a good job coming in? Yes, he did a good job coming in, but that was his own sh- only strategy. Hit heavy, get a short ball, come in, finish the point. And that is the mantra of coaches against pushers. That is a bad coaching job. You can't win, just hit solid, get a short ball, finish points that's not going to work. You need more layers and you need to be willing to reset and realize they're going to have to reset a lot more than you want to.
3: Yeah, that's, that's really great. I had the same um, impression, you know, of what you just said in terms of this one strategy, um, but it's a lot more. So let's see uh, Jay, look, I would just counter punch and push the puncher or sorry, push the pusher. (laughs) Um, What do you think about that? Trying to play the pushers game? That's what they want.
2: They want you to overhead and they want you to push with them. That's the spider web. That's the pusher spider web. And once they got you trapped in it, it is over yeah. Unless you're better at pushing than they are. Right. You better hope that you're better at pushing than they are. Which you yeah, might be. That's their strength. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you might be. If you're better at pushing them than them, Jay look Jay look, then you will. But again, what I'm trying to point out in that second video we watched is it's layers that dude had a lot more layers than maybe other people are just watching that video respect or understand that guy, even though he didn't have the most amazing strokes, he didn't hit the hardest ball. He had layers to what he was doing and he used them all. That's how he won so easily.
3: Yeah. Thanks Pete. Let's see Kelly. When playing a map, is it good to mix up your shots, hit with pace, then make them generate pace, then slice, bring them in, etc.?
2: Yes, Kelly. That's it. That's right. Again, it's, it's being in touch with their confidence meter and going, okay, when I get a good luck, good look, and I'm feeling it, let it rip. I'm not saying not to let some rip against, you know, people who hit the ball slow, let them rip, send the message sometimes. But if you think you're going to do that for two or three sets straight, two or three hours straight, you're not going to win. Okay. Then mixing it up, making them generate pace. That's, that has to be every time. If you play somebody who's a counter puncher who likes to play defense and you don't make them play offense, you did not do your job. If you didn't see how they do at creating offense, you did not do a good job in that match. I always want to see what a defensive player does when I, I'm an offensive player. I love to serve in volley and I love to come in um, on people's second serve. But I always love to see occasionally I'll see, well, what do, you, what, do you, what do you do when I make you come in? And if they don't do much with the ball and I get easy passing shots or they don't have an overhead, I go, ooh, I need to do that a lot more. Maybe I don't need to be coming to the net every two seconds, especially what if they've got great passing
0: shots. Then i got to change my game a little bit. All right. I really hope you enjoyed this episode with Coach Peter Freeman. And I do want to recap the – Eight ways to beat the pusher, a.k.a. the most exhausting player, or the MEP, as some people call this player. Uh, and they are in order. Number one, stay positive and play with respect, not hate, against this type of player. Number two, be ready to accept longer points and look at that as multiple opportunities to win points. Number three, play within your game. Number four, stay a gear or two ahead of the MEP. Or pusher Number five, look to methodically finish points in the midcourt and at the net. Number six, play under control offensively. Number seven, don't worry about what other outsiders are thinking when you're playing. And number eight, pay attention to your confidence meter. And it also really helps, um, for me, uh, what has helped against these players is to develop a weapon uh, and also the ability to uh, finish at the net as number five uh stated or number five on the list. Uh for example, you know, fortunately I've developed my forehand into a pretty big weapon where I can dictate and move the, the players around and then get them to hit shorter and shorter into the court to the point where I can get a really nice forehand that I can set up uh you know the next shot with or in a lot of cases end the point there. So that that's a big one too. If you can also gradually develop a weapon and have solid finishing capabilities uh, with your volleys. So, um, but yeah, I hope you enjoyed that list. And uh, it really was a great one that you do want to review and uh, try at least a couple of them out and see how they work for you. And, uh, yeah, I, if you got value out of this episode, I would really appreciate it if you would subscribe to the Tennis Falls podcast. So you can do that by just hitting the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app of choice that you use to listen to the show. And I do want to leave it with a quote, as I often do at the end of the show. And this one is by John C. Maxwell. And Mr. Maxwell said, people may hear your words, but they feel your attitude. That is a great one. You know, you can't just say one thing and act another way. Not very good. <laughs> uh, I could expand upon that, but I won't. I think I'll just leave it there. So, uh, in any case, we really hope you enjoyed this episode, and I uh, definitely look forward to episode 200, which is mind-blowing in a lot of ways. I uh, definitely didn't think at certain points that I would make it uh, this far, but knock on wood, I did, so we will be bringing you a special episode next week, and with that, I will... Say goodbye for now, and really appreciate all your support, emails, and messages, and have a great week. Stay safe and be well. This is Mirabhan Aranchat from the Tennis Files Podcast, signing out.
1: Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files Podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.